Welcome to the Singapore Management University podcast series, where we feature the latest insights and perspectives from our faculty. His Excellency Herman van Rompuy was in SMU on the 17th of November 2014 as the 17th Speaker of the Presidential Distinguished Lecturer Series, or PDLS. In a wide-ranging discussion moderated by SMU President Professor Arnaud de Meyer, His Excellency Van Rompuy shared his comments on topics such as the G20 Leaders' Summit 2014, economic reforms in Europe, and the divining moments of his presidency in the European Council. His Excellency Van Rompuy was elected as the first full-time president of the European Council in November 2009. In 2012, he was re-elected for a second term. At the time of his first election, he was Prime Minister of Belgium. Prior to that, he had served in Belgium as Speaker of the House of Representatives and in several government positions, including as Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Budget. An author of several books, he has also received numerous awards and distinctions in his career. In the first of a two-part podcast, we feature selected highlights of the PDLS in November. So, Your Excellency, I um, would like to start off with a simple question. What were your impressions of the G20? What can we take away? What are the takeaways from the G20 uh, as you saw it? First of all, thank you for having the occasion to to have a talk with you, fellow Belgian slash Flemish. True. (laughs) It's even more... Detail is important. (laughs) Your origins are even uh, the the very city of Oudenaarde, which is the hometown of my wife. So we are really very close. Uh, But uh, I come back from the G20 meeting. It will be my last G20 meeting. And I I didn't attend the first one in, uh, in London and in Washington. That was just after the financial crisis. And... Actually, the G20 at the level of leaders uh, was established to give an answer to the financial crisis. And they were at that time, uh, let's say, rather successful. Afterwards, my analysis is that those decisions, although important ones and successful, were rather easy compared to what we have to do now. Why? Because saving a bank at that time, it was putting public money in it. Uh, and the stimulus program, uh, deficit spending, are not the most difficult decisions. Afterwards came the regulation, financial regulation. Yeah, you touched upon vested interests. Uh, then afterwards, how coordinate or can we coordinate economic policies in such a diverse landscape as the global economy? Uh, the Eurozone has other problems as the United States. I mean, emerging economies uh, have other problems as the Eurozone. And in the emerging economies, you have a lot of differences. So coordinating uh, economic policies is quite a tough uh, task. And we have the same problem, by the way, inside the Union. We have to coordinate among the 19 of the Eurozone and the 28 of the, of the Union. Yesterday, the day before yesterday, we took, I think, for the first time in in a couple of years, concrete decisions, Uh, focusing, of course, on growth and jobs, that's nothing new, uh, but focusing on investment. Investment, infrastructure investment, private investment. So this global investment initiative and also creating a hub where that uh, the, the policies for the coming years are coordinated in some way, 
that was rather something concrete, uh, not just expressing intentions, but focusing on concrete results. But again, uh, it is a difficult task to bring all those economies on the same line. But the G20 meeting is not only important uh, for the meeting itself and, and the, the, the conclusions of the meeting. The G20 meetings are also important because you have a lot of not side events but bilateral meetings uh, where leaders can meet. And then I make uh, in this context a more general observation. Uh, I think the sixth time I attend this kind of meeting when you see all those leaders, the President of the United States, the President of China, uh, the Prime Minister of uh, Japan, the, the President of the Russian Federation, all around the table discussing the economy and even topics beyond the economy. That's, it's quite reassuring because they are in speaking terms. And I think it is the first time in human history that on a regular basis, Leaders all over the globe meet each other, discuss, try to find common stands. And this is hopeful for the world as a whole. I'm not naive and I'm not whatsoever uh, after all those years in politics, you, you lost the last millimeter of naivety. naive naivety. Yeah? But it, 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 it's quite uh, an experience each time to see 80% of the world economy represented People have the highest responsibilities, most of them are directly uh, elected, and then all discussing and on the same topic and looking for solutions. As long as this exists, then I would say even if the outcome is not always what we, uh, what we expected, but as long as this exists, I'm hopeful for the humankind, that, that we can keep the world uh, at peace and, and that uh, we... We have now an institution that is even more important to some extent than the United Nations and the United Nations Security Council. Um, although the, in some moments the, the, the UN is from utmost importance, but here on a regular basis that kind of meeting is quite exceptional. And so uh, I'm very, I was very honored to attend those meetings and, then if, and again this time we focused on investment, concrete result, growth, and, and, and jobs. Without growth and jobs, most of our societies become unstable. Mm. And certainly in, the, in those, in what we call industrial nations, their social systems come under huge tension, even threatening the existence of the survival of the systems. So our system, our socio-economic system is based on growth. Without growth, we go not only in social and economic problems, we go in major political problems. So this is of the utmost importance that we join efforts together. Are you optimistic about the growth prospects? Because when, I'm not an economist, I admit, but uh, when I read sort of economic predictions for the coming years, it seems as if the world is going into a slower mode of growth. Uh, almost no growth in Europe, limited growth in the United States. The emerging countries, China in particular, go to a lower level of growth than before. It's still 7%, still pretty good, but it's all a little bit lower. Are you optimistic? Yeah, optimistic and pessimistic. That's uh, no, no feelings that are really interesting, I find. Um, but that is, it can be very superficial. Huh? Uh, 
because that can change uh, overnight. But um, I have a more nuanced view on, uh, on, on this. Nuance in this sense that the growth in China is still 7%. Probably is more sustainable at 7% than at 10%. Huh? Growth in the United States is surprisingly high. Surprisingly high. Partially the result of past policies. Uh, they put the financial house in order right after the financial crisis. It was very helpful today. Um, and, of course, there is the shale gas revolution, a major game changer. It is due to, let's say, to the accident of nature, but also uh, mainly, I think, to the system who allows to develop that kind of, of, uh, of energy resources. Um, so they have now growth of around 3%, 3%, huh? which is quite high, surely for a mature economy, because it's much more difficult to have high growth rates for mature economies than for emerging economies. Yeah. In the emerging economies, there is a differentiation. Uh, and there I join uh, not your pessimism or your, your lack of optimism, uh, but you, the diagnosis that it is lower growth than we expected. Russia is in recession. Uh, Brazil is almost in recession. Um, others are, ha, have quite a lot of difficulties, not to speak about South Africa, for instance. In the Eurozone, uh, we have a low economic growth. We have a structural economic growth of 0.5%. That's much too low, let's say, the, the welfare systems we have to finance. Of course, we can do better, and we will do better. We will do better, but it takes some time. It takes some time. But you have to, to look at, let's say, you have to look at all those things in a longer-term perspective. And in this sense, I'm not so pessimistic, uh, to use those words again, because major efforts are made to reorient the economies. This is the case in China. I think it will also be the case in India. I think in Brazil they will draw the conclusions of the recent presidential elections uh, and, 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 and let's say in, in the, the voice of the people and that will be an incentive to do it in another way but, and to do it better. And in the Eurozone we are embarked in a major countries on structural reforms. And some of our governments are taking courageous decisions, confronting also parts of public opinions, some parts of their own electorate, huh? not to speak uh, of Italy or France and, and so on. So everybody knows that reforms of all kinds are inevitable, inevitable. In political life, as in personal life, you always, not you always, but you often act in front of the abyss, knife on the throat, and with your back against the wall. And then you, you, you take action. Uh, you can say it is too little and too late, and, but even in the private sector it is often the case. So uh, I think that these are a, a, an awareness all over the place that we have to change that we have to reform, 
uh, in difficult uh, political circumstances, in lively democracies as the European ones. Uh, but I see that leaders take their responsibilities and that's quite encouraging. What do you think, I mean, coming, focusing a little bit more on Europe, you say we, we need to have these structural reforms or we are implementing these structural reforms without looking at immediate things that need to happen because that probably is very difficult for you to, to talk about given the fact that you're stepping down by the end of the month. Um, but sort of medium term, what do we need to do in Europe to get that economy going again? What are the sort of structural reforms or the ideas that you have about where, needs, where does Europe need to go? What, what needs to work in Europe to make mm. it successful? And only speaking on the economic side. Yeah. So a lot can be done, has been done in some member states at the national level. And there, the reforms of the labor market and reforms in our pension systems are of key importance. In the labor market, it is about uh, uh, reforming uh, taxation on labor mm -hmm. because we are imposing too, too heavy burden uh, on labor, making labor uh, of employment in general less attractive. That is, no, that is not only the relation between, uh, let's say, you, you, you have two kinds of competitiveness, I will describe it in this way. You have the competitiveness of your own country, your own firm, vis-à-vis -vis the rest of the world, but you have also a competitiveness between the factor labor and the factor capital. If you put too heavy taxes on labor, then the incentive to have uh, substitution uh, of labor uh, by capital is you enhance that uh, that uh, that substitution. So um, we have the duality in in the labor markets, duality between uh, older workers with fixed contracts and younger workers with temporary contracts. So this becomes unsustainable because the first who are fired are the younger ones. So we have to, to have a system that, uh, that is less discriminatory than, than we have now in most of our, of our member states. And of course we have all kinds of what we call uh, flexibility in, in the labor market so that uh, employment can be adapted also more quickly to changes in, in economic activities. Uh, that is not easy because there are a lot of, there's a lot of resistance of the insiders and they forget that there are outsiders. Huh? The outsiders are the 11% of the yeah. labor population who is unemployed. Yeah. And then you have the, the reforms of the pension systems in most all of the, uh, the country you have a prolongation of retirement age, de facto order the legal age huh? in our own country. I can still say our own country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In our own country it is now, it will become 67 years but only in 15 years time. So I will, I am really uh, somebody who is anticipating all this because mm -hmm. I will retire at 67. So this is the retirement age that will be the retirement age of the future in, in, in our countries. But we are now de facto sometimes at uh, 59 and 60 percent. Mm. That is of course unsustainable with the average life expectancy of above the 80. Huh? Mm. 
In the 50s, we had in Western Europe and in, in my country, in your country, uh, we had a, a de facto, no, and legally, but it was the same at that time, retirement age of 65. The average, average life uh, expectancy was 66. That's all. And now the gap is more than 20 years. Uh, but that is mainly the responsibility of the member states. From the union on, we can push, we can, uh, we can urge, uh, we, we, we can ex, uh, ex, have some kind of peer pressure, but it's ultimately their responsibility. At the level of the union, there we have to exploit much more than we have now our single market. We, we tend to say, Europe, and it's true, we have the biggest single market in the world, 500 million people with the highest purchasing power in the world. Uh, but we have to deepen our single market, not only in the, in the circulation or the free circulation of goods and services, but also, let's call it, although the, the word is not uh, the, the right one, in industry. Uh, we need an energy union, we need a single digital market, we need a research area all over the European Union. In each of these domains we are taking important steps, but we have to do much more than we are doing now. There is a huge potential for growth still in the European Union if we join forces, if we can abandon national champions, if we see what can be achieved uh, on, in the space of uh, the, the 28, we are too much focused still on a place, national states, and less on the space, the European Union. So I am uh, not uh, desperate at all. There is still a huge potential for growth in the European Union. 